The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. It's the Catherine Zox Show. We've got two guests coming up in this hour. Um, one of the questions that we're going to be talking about, Americans, and I totally agree with this, are being lured into addiction, sex, drugs, alcohol. Uh, if you think you have a problem, may need an intervention, and I think, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of us do. You're going to have, you're going to listen to what Jane Velez Mitchell has to say. Jane is an award-winning television journalist. Most of you know her. She's a best-selling author. Currently has her own show on HLN, Issues with Jane Velez Mitchell, um, and she's often seen commenting on high-profile cases for CNN, True TV, E, and a lot of other national cable TV TV shows. But her new book is called Attic Nation, an Intervention for America. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Jane. Thank you for having me, Catherine. Uh, Quite a book. Attic Nation. We are an attic nation. Um, I agree with you. Let's talk about your book. First of all, I know that you are a recovering alcoholic yourself, and we say recovering because you never completely recover from an addiction. It's always an ING recovering. Um, and you've been That's a recovering right. once alcoholic. A, once a pickle, never again a cucumber. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so this is all personal as well as I'm going to say academic. It's not necessarily academic, but, uh, you know. No, not at all. And and what happened was after I got a few years of sobriety under my belt, and I'll be hopefully 16 in April. Congratulations. um, God willing. Thank you. I started to look around me, and I started to notice something strange. All these people who were not alcoholics were behaving addictively. And I was recognizing something that I identified with, and that's that's how people get into recovery, is they hear somebody else who has the same problem and they identify with them. And I just started saying to myself, you know, everybody seems to be behaving addictively. My friends are shopping addictively. Uh, some of them are eating addictively. Some of them are addictively cleaning their house. Some of them are addicted to violence in the movies and television. Uh, and just to hone in on one addiction... Uh, overconsumption of material goods, I decided to hold a Consumers Anonymous meeting in my house, and I went on Google, and it turns out there really is no Consumers Anonymous. A college tried it. It didn't take off. And I thought, this is a great idea. Somebody needs to do this. And so all my friends humored me, and they came to my house, and they're like, oh, God, another crazy scheme. Uh, but once we started sharing about it, as we would in a regular 12-step meeting for any addiction, people started becoming really emotional and sharing about their guilt and their shame over their overconsumption. Uh, one friend of mine shared she goes to a superstore and buys all this food, but she lives alone, so the food rots before she can eat it, and she feels guilty about that. Another girl shared about how, I should say woman, 
Um, she buys shoes all the time, can't pass a pair of uh, black high heels without buying them, and then she starts to wonder afterwards, well, was there a child in the third world making this shoe, putting that sole on? A man shared how he buys all this stuff from Ikea and gets it home, and it looks so great in the display cases there, but when he gets it home, it just doesn't look good. It looks like junk. And, and everyone was sharing how it wasn't making them any happier. It was making them sad. It may, yeah, it doesn't make you happier. It makes you sad. It's true because it doesn't fulfill that void. Whatever we're trying to fill, I think, as a culture, as a nation, as you say, buying too many shoes, buying big houses that we don't need, eating, overeating, uh, clothes, all of those kinds of things. But Jane, where do you think it's coming from? And how big do you think the problem is? Are we talking about most of us or, you know, do we have numbers? It's an epidemic and it's virtually every American. Um, this was my conclusion. Uh, every American is an addict in one way or another, and it is debilitating us. I think it's one of the reasons why we're in decline, because we're not about giving and creating stuff that other people need. We've become truly a consumer society. We're all about buying. Who's and doing it and now we're buying everything from China. I, I decided I want to buy from China because of the repression there, because of the pollution there. And you go out to find clothes that are not made in China. You will spend all day going from store to store to store because I've done it. Um, so we're not producing anymore. We're just consuming. And um, this is because we are bombarded with thousands and thousands of ads every day telling us that we're not complete human beings unless we buy this. We're not going to be happy and fulfilled. We're not going to be sexy. We're not going to be uh, statusy unless we buy this particular item. And it's a big lie, and we're all buying into it. So is this all about the money? Is this all about the money? Totally. We're being totally. We're a capitalist uh, society. We're you know supposedly we have to consume in order to keep our economy going. Let's well, take that's the a total lie. Can I Let's tell you take... why? Over the last three decades, the average American salary has remained stagnant. But 0.01 percent, the richest of the rich, have seen their income skyrocket by a thousand percent. So the economy, the money that we're generating in this society, is not being distributed in an equitable fashion. It's going all to the super rich already. This is the problem with our consumer society. It's a scam. It, uh, so what do we do about it? It's a, I mean, do we have any control over it? Are we just victims mm -hmm. of this scam, of this consumer scam? It's just like the protesters in Egypt. If we all got together, we would have more power than the government and the industrial cartels that are pushing all this stuff. We as consumers have the tremendous power to say, no, I will not buy that. No, I will not do that. In my book, Attic Nation, which I call an intervention for America, just to take one example on the food front, I say, just for today, Americans, just say no to fast food. We know that fast food is responsible for the obesity crisis. The, the parallels, if you look at two graphs, the rise of obesity and the rise of fast food institutions, they are exactly parallel. Obesity like this didn't exist before the 1950s. Fast food came on the scene in the 1950s, and the parallel rise in fast food outlets and obesity is absolutely perfect. So what we can do is we can say just for today, the way they do in program and recovery from any other drug, I will not go into a fast food restaurant. Just for today, I will not drive through a fast food drive through Despite all the evidence, despite uh, Fast Food Nation supersize me and all these documentaries and all this talk, everybody knows 
at this point that fast food isn't good for them. And yet they still go. That's addictive behavior. When you can't say no to something that you know isn't good for you, that's being an addict. And that's called being a slave. And uh, this is really what addiction is. It's enslavement. So America was based on the notion of pursuit of happiness. But when you're an addict, you can't pursue your happiness that's in your true self-interest. All you can do is go for the next fix. But what about this, Jane? Okay, you're, I, I, I agree with you. People are going into, they're going to fast foods, they're buying it, they're, they are addicted to the salt and the sugar and the fats and all of these mm-hmm. foods and they've got, and, you know, so they buy this stuff in the grocery store and they go to these fast food restaurants. But there's kind of like a, a, a lot of people are making a lot of money off of this, not simply the fast foods. Uh, industry, but then the pharmaceutical industries, because now these people mm-hmm. become obese, they get fat, overweight, type 2 diabetes. It seems to me a lot of companies, a lot of pharmaceutical companies are making a lot of money off of these, of course. off of us who are, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent of us overweight, obese. Um, Catherine, the, the biggest slice of the expenses of government, I was just looking at this in the paper today because New York State is in a fiscal crisis, is Medicaid. Okay, so if we fixed our health problems, we would reduce, that would be a great way to reduce our tax burden by fixing our health problems. We talk about health care, health care, health care. Why don't we talk about health? Why don't we talk about the fact that the U.S. government is actually creating the obesity crisis by its massive subsidies to these giant agribusinesses, which produce the cheap corn, which is the pipeline to fast food. Everybody knows this by now. The cheap corn creates the high fructose corn syrup. It creates um, these subsidies create the grain that allow us to produce cheap uh, farm animals, which results in the cheap $1 burger. If there were no government subsidies, the average hamburger would cost something like $12. People wouldn't be able to go into a fast food restaurant and gorge on three or four hamburgers because it would be prohibitively expensive. The government is completely two-faced. They're telling us, oh, you know, uh, reduce, eat less. Finally, they're saying eat less. But at the same time, they're the ones that are subsidizing the, the fast food by, by these massive subsidies to agribusiness. And we're talking about reducing the deficit and reducing the deficit. We're going to cut education, and we're going to cut um, all these other vital services, and, and we're not going to cut the agricultural subsidies. That's complete corruption. Our government is completely 100% controlled by corporate interests, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's really a crisis. And, and nobody is really, I think, perceiving how how pernicious this is, you know, all addiction leads to incomprehensible demoralization and tragedy. And if we're an addict nation, we are headed into a very, very downward spiral if we don't become aware of what's going on. So what I say to all consumers out there is you've got to use your pocketbook. Every single decision you make about what to buy is not just a lifestyle choice. It's a political, moral, and environmental decision. You've written the book. We're going to get the book out there. People are going to read the book. But what happens is, I think, in my experience as a social worker, you know, on an individual basis, everybody just gets up in the morning, goes to work, does what they have to do. And even though they are, and you're right, awareness is the first step, but then we have to take it from there because just being aware isn't enough and then going about your business. 
Uh, just going to, and I get back to the pharmaceutical industry because I think this is my thing that I just that drives yeah. me crazy. I mean, six o'clock at night, I turn on the television, and all I see is ads for pharmaceuticals to to cure all of these things that you're talking about. You know, that are result from overeating and overindulging and overdoing. And you let know, me, let me give you an example, Catherine. The biggest selling drug is a high cholesterol drug. Okay, now cholesterol comes from meat. And dairy products. There are, there's no cholesterol in plants. It doesn't exist in plants. So unless you're one of the rare, rare individuals has a genetic disposition, predisposition to high cholesterol, it's almost guaranteed your, your high cholesterol is coming from overconsumption of meat and dairy products. So instead of us as a culture saying, hey, we're eating too much meat and dairy products, and by the way, I'm a vegan, I eat no meat and no dairy products, and by the way, Oprah is devoting this entire week to going vegan on her show, with all her staff, um, instead of changing your lifestyle and bringing in more fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains, what do they do? Let's, let's give you a pill so that you can continue your self-destructive lifestyle and, and you can sort of ameliorate it t- a tad with this pill. How well, is that treating, insanity? It's well, total insanity. It's treating the symptoms. We always treat, we, no, we, most of the time we treat the symptoms as you're discussing, not the root cause of all of this. Another piece of that is, even if you have a piece of meat, even if you have something that's dairy or whatever, what you can do it. What about portion control? What about you don't need to have five plates of, of beef? I mean, you may Catherine, have two hours. Portion control beef. doesn't exist for addicts. Addicts do not know moderation. Asking an addict, a food addict, to, to exhibit portion control is is like uh, somebody telling me, an alcoholic, why can't you just have one drink with dinner? It doesn't work that way. Addicts are precisely the people who can't do moderation. So to tell Americans who are overwhelmingly three-quarters of them food addicts, please just eat moderately, it's like telling a heroin addict, just have a little bit of heroin. It's not going to work. So what are we... So what are you saying? So what do we do? We have to, okay, we have all these people who are addicted to these kinds of foods. You have to start at the macro and the micro, I think. I mean, you're talking about the government, and I agree with you. You know, we have, they, have to, we have to, they have to make changes, or we have to make changes. But then as individuals, we have to make changes as well on the micro level, don't we, in order this whole intervention? Absolutely. Has to, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the first thing we need to do, any addict, is have a moment of clarity, hit bottom. I remember the day I hit bottom and I suddenly saw myself objectively as others saw me as a complete blackout drunk. And, you know, that's not, that's not something that's pleasurable, but ultimately it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I had that moment of clarity and I surrendered to the fact that I was powerless over alcohol. And the miracle that occurred to me was that that first time that I entered really recovery, that first day I had a psychic shift and I realized I don't have to drink. And, and that's what I urge everybody listening. Uh, first of all, read my book, Addict Nation, because it will help you, guide you through this process. Um, but uh, just as I had friends that guided me to the point where I was able to hit that bottom by telling me you have a problem and, and pointing out the ways in which I had a problem and the solution, namely there's a program. Um, but that moment of clarity is so important. And get out of denial. People people are joining health clubs all the time, but they don't go to the health club. They don't want to use the health club because they have to look in the mirror and see the ugly before picture. So you have this sort of fantasy of everybody getting better, but nobody's getting better because they're not really coming to terms with what the situation is. Uh, people out there, if you're overweight or obese, you are powerless over food. Surrender to that fact. And 
we do have to eat every day to survive, but you can narrow the playing field. You can go to the light gray areas by, for example, saying no to fast food, just as I say no to alcohol. I do not right. have no drop of to alcohol. fast foods. We're going to take a short break on that one. Just remember, folks, say no to fast foods. Just like you say no to drugs, say no to fast foods. Jane Velez Mitchell, she's the author of Addiction. Oh, she's the author of Addiction. Adignation, an intervention for America. Don't go away. We've got lots more to talk about. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back with Jane Velez Mitchell, award-winning author, award-winning television journalist, and author of Addignation and Intervention for America. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Okay, Jane, so we started getting personal before we took the break because it took you, uh, I don't know how long it took you, how long you were drinking when you finally had, did you have an intervention? You had a, a drinking, for those who are just tuning in, and you are a recovering alcoholic, a uh, problem with alcohol, but it got to a certain point where you had to just, you realized, hey, I've got a problem. But what happened specifically to you? Well, I had a problem for uh, a lot of years. I, I'm genetically predisposed to alcoholism. My dad was an alcoholic, albeit a high-functioning alcoholic, and 
so uh, I was kind of predestined to, to get this disease, and uh, I learned from my dad how to be a functional alcoholic, how to show up for work no matter what. There's a lot of those, at least in the old days there were in journalism, and uh, not so much anymore, thank God. But um, uh, I, I, the road always gets narrower. It, I became less and less functional as time went on, and um, I gained positions of more responsibility. And uh, while I never missed a day of work, maybe there were days when I should have missed a day of work, um, I had that attitude of, oh, I work hard, I play hard, kind of a very low-grade version of what Charlie Sheen is doing right now. Uh, I never got to that level, thank God. Uh, but um, I um, I just got older, and, and I hit bottom when I was 39. Uh, it just wasn't pretty anymore. Uh, what you can do when you're 18 and might be considered cute or silly is really ugly and pathetic when you're 39. And I just finally had a moment of clarity that it wasn't fun anymore. You know what they say about addiction? It starts out as fun, then it becomes fun with problems, and at the end it's just problems. But you also... Sounds like you had support because you mentioned you had friends, you had you know people who cared about you, who loved you, who were you know helping you to come to the realization to break through this denial. Yes, I had a friend who I went to college with, who I used to party with, and he had joined um, a twelve-step program recently, and so he started knocking on my door saying, "You need to join too." And I was like, "Mind your own business," which all alcoholics and addicts will say. And then uh, when I had that incident at a party, which was the moment I hit bottom. And it was just like a blackout at a party in embarrassing moments. Uh, the next day I called him and said, you know what? Uh, take me where you got to take me. I, I need to uh, change. And, uh, again, that first day I had a, a psychic shift and a, I would have to say a spiritual awakening. Um, it's not born again like a traditional religious context, but it was a feeling like born again. I just, there's nothing worse than being enslaved by something. And I really was at the point where I felt I did not have a choice not to drink. I would say every day, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't last. When you're an addict, you are not in control of your destiny. The addiction controls you. It takes over your body, and you are a zombie. And it doesn't matter how smart you are, how rich you are, how cute you are. Nothing counts. And some of the smartest people are addicts, and they come up with the strangest behavior because what happens is that the, the addiction takes your mind hostage and it will do anything to get that drug that you seek. And so what comes out of a smart mind are really good rationalizations and justifications. So um, it really doesn't matter who you are. When you are in the um, throes and in the, the clutches of an addiction, you are not in control of your life. There's only one thing that you have, one power you have is to say, no, I will not touch it. So it, it doesn't get a chance to take you over. And that's what I'm saying to people about whether it's prescription drugs or fast food. Um, just say no because the first bite you take, it takes over. The first bite you take. Um, I've made a lot of changes in my life. I haven't only just given up alcohol. I've given up smoking, all drugs. I wasn't really a drug addict, but all drugs. I've given up meat, I've given up dairy products, and I've given up sugar. Now everybody says, oh, what do you eat? You know what? I have a wonderful diet. Because when you're eating fast food, you can't taste fruit. Fruit doesn't even register on your palate because your taste buds have been totally numbed. It's like giving a heroin addict, um, I don't know, a, a, a lifesaver. It's not going to get them high. So once I cleared my palate and I was able to um, get right-sized in terms of food, now if I have fruit for dessert and I make a little fruit a bowl of fruit for dessert, it tastes beautifully sweet. 
But what if people are going to say, Jane, people are going to say, Jane, you know, you're smart, you're attractive, you're talented, you can do it, but I'm just kind of a regular guy or gal. I can't do that. And there's another piece to this that you're describing. We're not talking about one addiction as, you know, as well as you describe in the book. We are a, a, a culture of dual addictions. I mean, we have many addictions. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, uh, you know, I bought my house, I buy too much, too many clothes, I eat the wrong food, uh, my house is too big. It's not just one thing. I'm not just an, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? So boy, it's a right. complete, as you say, psychic shift, but you have to do it in all areas of your life. And the average person say, well, how can I do that? Well, well, let me say to them that you, it's going to be freedom. You're going to save tons of money. Do you know how much money I save? We haven't even gotten to the part about the unnecessary cleaning and beauty products. The average woman pours 120 different unique ingredients on her body every day. Let's talk about that. Yeah. If you use 10 products over the course of a day and you look at the ingredients on the back of each of those products, a bunch of chemicals that you have no idea what they are, and you're assuming somebody has checked it out for you, which is not true. Nobody has. And America is becoming a a dumping ground for toxic chemicals that have been banned in Europe. Um, you're putting 120 different chemicals on your body, and you're spending a lot of money doing it for new and improved products. Same thing with cleaning your house. Soap and water kills 99% of all household germs. They keep coming up with these new and improved products that cost you money, that are destroying the environment, that are filled with very overkill substances like antibacterials that uh, really were designed for surgical use, and you're using them in your home, and, and it's absolutely unnecessary, and it's it's bad for you. It's bad for the environment. It costs you money. Now, you're telling me that people have to keep doing that because they don't have the power to just not buy that? No. Don't buy it. You, soap and water will clean your house. You'll save a ton of money. Ditto for all these beauty products. I mean, but here's you know, something I've mentioned this on the They're show all before. I have mentioned this a joke. What? I've mentioned this on the show before, but I have, I, I, I have tried to go green in terms of the products that cleaning for my house. And I have a, yes. a, a woman who cleans my house and I've told, you know, and she has allergies and asthma and all this other kinds of stuff. And I buy all these and I started buying green products. And yeah. she said to me, well, I can't get the house clean enough unless I use the other stuff. And I said to her, what are you talking about? Use the green, the, you know, the green look, products. Every, the soap- look, everybody says the same thing. Why? Because the people who sell us these products have created this psycho level of cleanliness where our house has to look like it does in the TV commercials, i.e. like some kind of uh, antiseptic showroom. And, um, oh, my God, if there's a, a, you know, a, a tiny little streak somewhere, you're a dirty person. It's, it's complete insanity, okay? Um, cleanliness, one of the things that I say in my book, Attic Nation, is don't regard cleanliness just from the perspective of your own home. Are you a clean person if you make the world a dirty place? If you take all these harsh chemicals and use it to make your home spotless, and people love to say, you can eat off my floor. Well, you know what, honey, I don't want to eat off your floor. <laughs> okay? And if you make your house so sterile with all these harsh, harsh chemicals that then go into the ecosystem and are killing fish and are making frogs come out like hermaphrodites, are you really a clean person? Or are you just a person who cares about your home and nothing else and you're making the world a dirty place? See, I think that's the point. I think you need to do a, a, a documentary. I think you really need... With we that, are going to turn it into a documentary. Yeah, you do. That needs to be a documentary. People need to see it. and They need the book, 
and then they need to see the visuals. They need to see it just as you just described it. You know, you have the, you can your house is like an operating room. You can eat right. off the floor, and who wants to, as you say? And yet you're dumping all this stuff, you know, down the drain into our. And, and we're spending all this money doing it. People, I, I see these stories all the time. People are like out of work because I can't buy food for my kids. Well, you know what? If you stop buying all these cockamamie products that are completely unnecessary, I use one thing on my body. Uh, I use almond oil, which I mix essential oils that I get at the health food store, like sage and eucalyptus and lavender. And I've been doing it for the longest time. It completely, I know every ingredient that goes on my body, okay? Um, everybody always says, oh, I love that perfume. What perfume are you wearing? I say, I'm not wearing any perfume. I put almond oil on my body with a few essential oils. Uh, I will not buy products where I don't know what's in them. In other words, I will look at a product. One great, easy shortcut is buy everything that says not tested on animals because if it's not tested on animals, it won't contain all those harsh chemicals. So you, you end up buying all your stuff at the health food store until these mainstream stores start putting in buy 100% recycled toilet paper and paper towels. In fact, you can get rid of the paper towels and just use cloth. Um, go and to the health food store uh, and buy all the shampoos and the deodorants and everything that say not tested on animals. Why? Because it won't have the aluminum and all the other terrible pro- ingredients that now are, sh- are being proven to be bad for us. And so if it's, if it's not going to kill a rabbit, it's not going to kill you. So that's what I say. Buy products that say do not, never test it on animals, not test it on animals. Yeah, and you also have to, when you go to the grocery store, make it a point to always look at the labels. I mean, it sounds very simple, and if you've got a paragraph full of stuff, put it back, because whatever, if it it needs probably not more than one or two uh, descriptions of what's in the product. Um, and, And if it has more than that, then you've just got chemicals and preservatives and stuff you don't need. Just put it back. And not only do I do, I, Jane, when I'm at the grocery store, not only do I do that, I'm a troublemaker. I read it, and then whoever's <laughs> standing beside me, I tell them, are you look, I mean, people look at me as if I'm crazy, but what do you, you know, somebody who's looking at the label, I'll give my little speech. And uh, I guess some, I do the some, same exact thing. I do the same. I don't go shopping. I go inspect. I, and <laughs> people have joked shopping with me is a nightmare because I, I go to the manager every single time. I'm like, why aren't you carrying um, the vegetarian products here? Where are the healthy products? Why are they in the ghetto at every supermarket all the way in the back where you can't find them? Where are the recycled toilet paper? Where's the eco logs for my fireplace? I mean, there are positive products out there. And, and they're saying, please, Jane, please shop them. at our competitor store. Please do not come back here. <laughs> <laughs> we have to say goodbye. We only yeah. we only got about thirty seconds left. Uh, I'm excited about you doing a documentary about this, but for right now we have your book, uh, Addiction Intervention for America. Got to get out there, got to buy it. Bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com. You can read all the lots of reviews on on the net and and good ones. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much, Jane Velez Mitchell. I'm Catherine Zock. Your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, Donna Suzio coming up next, The Man Whisperer, a gentle results-oriented approach to communication. We'll be back in a minute. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and it's World Talk Radio and VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Ever feel like you need a manual to get through to your man? And what if there was a way you could make your request in a certain way to get what you want every time, all the while making it seem like his brilliant idea? Well, there's a new book out called The Man Whisperer, A Gentle Results-Oriented Approach to Communication. And Donna Sozio is the author. She's a dating and fashion expert who's She's been on the Tyra Banks Show, The Early Show, Match.com, lives in L.A., uh, and is here to talk about her new book, The Man Whisperer, so we can, uh, I guess, have the ability to be able to communicate with our man and get him to do what we want him to do. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Donna. Oh, thank you so much. The Man Whisperer. Okay, you call it a gentle results-oriented approach to communication. So what yes. kind of communication are we talking about? I mean, I know any woman who's listening to the show, we have a lot of women listeners, uh, are thinking, well, I often or most of the time have difficulty communicating with my boyfriend, my partner, my husband. So what are you going to do for us? Why is this book different? Why is this, you know, you talk about a results-oriented approach to communication. What is it? Well, in romantic relationships, it's built upon chemistry and romance. That's and I, I want to clarify that these techniques, um, that's the, the, the field that we're playing in, is chemistry, romance. And so it's actually a feminine communication style, man whispering, that brings out a man's masculine qualities of, um, you know, achievement and providing. And so when women relearn how to use a feminine communication style to phrase their request to man, to their men, to bring out their masculine qualities of doing, then you have a win-win for both partners. 
Right. Well, so well, let's take this back a little because you say we have to have a feminine style of communicating. And so I guess the obvious is that we don't do that right now, so we don't get what we want. We want to bring out the best in our man, and we're not doing it because what kind of – how are we communicating now? In a masculine style or what we're doing is – if we're not getting what we want, we're not communicating in the right way. Do we have a definition for that or, or – Absolutely. What works best with romantic relationships is you want to focus on complementary communication styles. You know, there you want to be. There's got to be a Fred. There's got to be a Ginger. In essence, you know, one person leads or thinks they're leading. You know, and one person follows. If both people are trying to lead, imagine dancing. It's just a mess and a tumble. And so. I, but I want to erase the fact that a man leads and a woman follows because what happens in commu- complementary communication styles when one person is using feminine and one person is using masculine is that things actually get done and women get what they want and more because men are pleasers. Men actually want to please women. So when we use feminine style of communication to to communicate our requests, men acquiesce to them. We get what we want. All right, so give us an example of that. What is an example of using a feminine communication style so that we men will acquiesce and give us what we want? But And it's complimentary, you're saying. Okay, so okay, like, let's talk. You can talk about it in terms of, well, okay, whatever. Something so simple. Yeah. Maybe the game is on too loud and it's just blaring and you're, you're you know, you're, you're, you're on the ceiling and, and it's the tenth time and you're sick of it. Instead of barging into the room, rolling eyes, hands on hips and exasperated with the breath, the frustrated breath, the TV is driving me crazy. What you do is you collect yourself and, and you just walk in and you just go, huh, is the TV, is the TV loud? Men love it when you ask their expertise and then you wait. We, we call it zipping it because women, uh, in the most part, sometimes when we're using a feminine communication style, we talk too much. We don't give men the time that they need or the silence, a beat of silence that they need uh, to come up with solutions. And so then we zip it. So we make a general comment about something in a way that's neutral, light, and then we zip it. We wait for him to provide a solution most often, men will do nothing for two seconds, and then they'll go, hmm, in their minds, they're like, oh, the TV is off. Oh, I wonder if it's bothering her. Oh, maybe I should turn it off. And then, well, my experience, about- though, I have to give you the other side of that, Donna, because I think sometimes men will, if you ask that question, is it too loud? Well, it's not too loud for me. Is it too loud for you? <laughs> well, then, you, then that's fine, too. Now we're, um, we're finessing it, too. You Still use a complimentary communication style. Actually, honey, it is too loud for me. Would it be okay if, if uh, I turned it down, or could you turn it down for me? Again, keeping it light, keeping it sweet, keeping it, you know, he's not in trouble. There's not going to be punishment after this. This is just one thing, and, and you're, again, letting him know what it would take to please you. And generally, men really do want to please their women. They really do. But here's the caveat. When they know that it brings them a win, and 
in the beginning when women first start man whispering, sometimes, you know, when they're so used to being in trouble or so used to women um, treating them like children and they're not used to the win, like, oh, I do something that pleases her and I get praised for it. Um, there's a little bit of a tussle in the beginning, but once he starts understanding that he gets praised and he gets a win for trying to please his woman, you'll see it more and more. But do, and in bigger ways. Like, but Donna, I'm thinking as you're describing this to me and having read the book, does some of this, it reminds me a little bit um, how my mother kind of talked to my father before, you know, I'm a big feminist, you know, 60s and 70s and um, you know, you're supposed to say what you want and put it in the eye for, you know, and as a social worker, you know, just come out there and just talk about what you were not angry and, and as you say, not attacking because that doesn't really get you anywhere. But kind of, it almost sounds, are we playing a game with our man, like back to the 50s kind of game? We, this is the way I explain it. If you want a college degree, you have to operate within the parameters of the college and their requirements to achieve it. If you want chemistry and you want romance, you have to operate within the, the laws and of chemistry, what builds chemistry, what kills chemistry. And so what feminism taught was a masculine communication style, and that's fabulous, and it works wonders when in an achievement-based system like the workplace or politics. However, this is romance. This is building chemistry between two people. And if someone is the masculine energy and the other person is the masculine energy, but they're opposite sexes, that's a problem. That's when it becomes a tug of war and, and a point system and equality of relationships, romantic relationships is actually a lose-lose situation because generally the, the, what happens is, is silent scorekeeping. Who's being more equal? Who, who's doing their share? Why aren't you like me? Rather than complementary, which allows each part to work within their expertise and together create a whole. So you're not talking about manipulation. You're, you're, you're whispering is the whispering, the man whisper, is not about manipulation, it's but it's not. about communicating in a complementary way. That's right. So that you That's can right. have romance. You have this chemistry. So what's it like when you get in bed together? You use this. This must work when you're, you know, in terms of your uh, romantic sexual relationship. Can we put it in those, in that kind of a context? Oh, yes. Magic <laughs> in the bedroom. Um, and one of the formulas for man whispering is compliment, request, compliment. And so, again, it builds men up for the win so that they'll take action to win even more especially in bed. So you can say you want your man to do X. And uh, so you compliment, him, you compliment him on Y, like, oh, wow, Y is so wonderful and fabulous. Okay, what's Y? What's so wonderful? Oh, <laughs> uh, you want me to talk specifics? Uh, you can be... Maybe he's, you know, kissing your neck, and you're like, oh, the way you kiss my neck is, oh, turning me on. Do you think you could, and then you put in your request for what you would like him to do, either differently or more of, and then finish with a compliment? Yeah, I can see how, you know, I can 
somehow, as you're describing, I can see how it works better in bed in a way rather than turning off the television while he's watching the football game. But because uh, that's a very romantic context that you know we're talking about or chemistry or whatever. So. Uh, yeah, instead of being demanding, the word demanding comes up because that doesn't work when you're in the bedroom. Um, so you're complimenting and then you're asking for more. That's right. Or just asking for something different or whatever it is that your request is. And, and here's something else too. Women should, should never use sex as punishment for men. I understand if we're angry, there's just no sex because we're not feeling it. So we never want to do anything um, that we don't feel comfortable. However, we never want to consciously use sex as a punishment. That can really ruin chemistry and romance in the bedroom. Do you think a lot of women today use sex as a punishment? I know that was something, and I'm going back to my mother's generation. That's what they did. No sex tonight because whatever. They had a fight. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of myself or my girlfriends. Um, it's more like what you say. It's uh, if you've had a fight or you're not getting, you don't feel like having sex with the, with your partner. But um, in your experience, I mean, you've written this book, you've talked to a lot of people. Do you think women still use sex as a punishment, generally? Yes. yes? When they feel that they have to. No, no woman that we interviewed feels good doing that. But when it's still that power struggle, that power struggle of equality, rather than focus on complementary, yes, they will, they will use that as a, um, as a last resort. And even they don't feel, even the women don't feel good about doing that. And so it, it, it kills romance and chemistry for them, too. So I want to talk about some of the examples, because you did interview a lot of people um, and for, in order, when writing this book. Uh, any surprises? I mean, any stuff that you mean you go into this and you're, you, know, you have a set of expectations about how women and men uh, communicate, and then you interview all these, these people, these women, um, did anything change for you, if, you know, from what you thought about initially in terms of the way men and women communicate? Any big surprises in any of these interviews? I don't know if it was a big surprise um, because it, it actually really, the interviews really did illustrate a lot of our, our intuitive points that we wanted to know more about, whether they were true or not true. But what I... I get, what I loved seeing was really happy, satisfied women who were 50s plus. And when I was talking about this concept, and they would almost roll their eyes at me and put a, a loving hand on my shoulder and say, oh, honey, I've been doing this for years. And so I realized it was something that my generation had lost. We had forgotten because we've been growing up so achievement-based. And so then we've, and that worked for us. The masculine communication styles worked for us to get us what we want in our lives except our love lives. And, We're going to take um, a break now, but so when we come back, I want to address that topic because I think that's an interesting, what you're having, to, the difference in the generations and having lost some of that ability to communicate because uh, I think that's an important point. The Man Whisperer, a gentle, results-oriented approach to communications by Donna Sozio and actually and Samantha Brett. We have to give her credit as well. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. Yeah. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to World Talk Radio and VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Uh, my guest this morning is Donna Sozio, and she and Samantha Brett have written a new book called The Man Whispers, A Gentle Results-Oriented Approach to Communication. So we've been talking about communication between men and women, and this book particularly is about complementary communication, that men and women can complement one another. They don't necessarily, I guess it's not necessarily equal, but it's complementary. And um, if you have are able to engage in that form of communication with your partner, then you can get your man to do what you want him to do, but this is not manipulative. It's just bringing out the the, the, all the good stuff in your man. It's, it's being able to get what you want from him, but not necessarily manipulating him. So, Donna, you interviewed a lot of people, a lot for, yes. for this book, uh, older women, younger women, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, I guess, the whole gamut, and yes. you learned something, and the difference in the generations, that women of the last generation, whatever that is, <laughs> not your generation, have, they tell you, as you said earlier, they've been doing this for years, but it got lost somehow, and this, this way of communicating with your man got lost over because of the feminist movement. Uh, let's talk about that, the difference in the generations. Absolutely, and uh, one, thing, uh, the one thing that surprised me was that uh, the feminists that we interviewed um, said that they actually, a lot of them suffered from exhaustion, from being in a masculine state uh, at work and then also with the man. 
and they just never felt like they had they got a chance to rest, and they never felt like um, they were able to let someone else take care of them. They were always the active party, and they actually said a lot of them suffering. They were suffering from exhaustion, and and I see that also in the younger women that we interviewed. They really had no concept of um, being a receptive party. They felt like they had to always overgive their their man to receive love. So that's an issue that's coming up with a whole generation of women is that we're actually ask, acting in a masculine way to um, to receive love. Well, don't you think there's the issue of competition? I mean, I'm part of that feminist generation or, you know, I, I think, and feeling exhausted. I think you're right about that. But this whole thing that you need to be able to compete, whether it's at work, uh, whether with your children, they have to be the best. And you bring that into the bedroom and you bring it into the relationship with your partner. Uh, and so there's always that competition. So you are exhausted because you all yes. feel like as a woman, I got to come out on top of this um, yes. or I'm going to sink back to that, you know, sort of that 50s kind of uh, June Cleaver um, wife or spouse or partner. And we don't want to do that. Right. So it, it inhibits women from allowing someone else, a man or even someone else, to take care of them. And, and that's the beauty of man whispering is that we know we're competent. We know we can do, for the most part, everything a man can't do. I mean, okay, I cannot open that tough jar, I, you know, but I can open the drawer and get a, at a, get a knife and bang on it, you know, and open it that way. <laughs> and, um, you know, so for the most part, yes, women today can do just about everything men can do. But that's not the point. The point is to allow, is to trust to have self-trust and to allow other people to take care of you so that you can rest. So how old are you? How old are you, how, Donna? Personally, 37. Yeah. How, how old? 37. 37. Okay. So you are Generation X, the yes. Gen Xers? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Interesting, because you're kind of in between the, the 20s, the late teens, the 20s. And uh, my foot on either side. <laughs> you do. You have your foot on either side. So how does it work for you personally? Because obviously you have an, you know, you had an interest in this. You're writing the book. I always assume that it comes from some, you know, as an author, comes from your own personal issues that you're wrestling with, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Did it? Did this, you know, like with your own relationships with men? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. When, um, when I focus on a complementary communication style, it's like, and again, this is my personal experience. It's like going on vacation. That's how I look at it. <sighs> I get to put all the burden down. I get to let someone take care of me. I'm so thrilled. And maybe the night or the evening or whatever it was that we did didn't go exactly how I would have planned it, but I didn't plan it. I got to relax. And I find it absolutely rejuvenating. Now, is this something that should happen? You know, that's a good example. I mean, I feel I go on vacation. I have a boyfriend of 20 years. I'm Mm -hmm. quite a bit older than you. But I do get into that. I have to plan every detail. I should plan it if I know what I want to do. And it is exhausting. 
And sometimes just to be able to give up and say, okay, you plan it, you do it. I, and whatever it is, I'll enjoy it. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. And, and, and let myself do that without thinking I have to be in control or I have to compete to have created the best vacation we ever had. Uh, so that's really, those are good points. But then does it work both ways? Like then he can do the same to you? Um, no, it doesn't. Okay, that's the point <laughs> I want to, yeah, okay, it doesn't. And, and that can be frustrating for an alpha female. It's like, well, wait a minute, it's my turn. I like planning events, too. I like pleasing you. But remember, we're talking about romantic relationships. In, in the most part, if the man is taking the masculine lead, he's the pleaser. He's the provider. He's the one that puts a smile on your face, and you must receive. And... The ability for women to receive in a romantic situation allows men to become better men, to give even more, to do even more. And I have found, and even in my personal experience, that when I take a stand and say, okay, I'm planning our next trip because I used to live in Europe and I love Europe and I'm going to show you the best trip in Europe. Well, (laughs) didn't work out because there is built a resentment. I was actually stealing his thunder. So I still get to express that side of myself, but I do with my girlfriends, not men. See, I would find that a little bit... I mean, I'm listening, I'm hearing you, and that's not easy to do. I think it's difficult, especially you talk about alpha women. We only have a couple minutes left, but if you're an alpha woman... And an alpha woman is someone who has to take or wants takes control over her life. And let's say you are the CEO of a company, you have your own mm-hmm. business, you run your own household, whatever you do. And then you have to kind of switch gears into the romantic chemistry kind of thing and let go. Uh, yeah, it's a whole different mindset. I mean, you need to practice, it is. isn't it? I mean, it's not it's easy. not easy. And since I'm alpha, it makes me bristle every time. But then I have to settle myself down and ask myself. What do I want? A happy, loving, complimentary relationship or to take charge of this situation? You have to be working on this. I mean, I guess you have to read your book several times and you <laughs> have to practice if you want this. So in other words, you're going to separate the two. I want you know, to have a great romantic, good chemistry with my partner. I also want yes. to be successful at work. So I kind of have to view those as two different kinds of relationships. The relationships, right? Yeah. And just for time for tongue and cheek, something I have in my mind is: Do I want to build chemistry or fart on it? And that usually makes it clear. Yeah. If you, what is your objective? That's what we have to think about. What's your objective? We're going to say goodbye on that one. This is an uh, interesting conversation. The Man Whisperer, a gentle results-oriented approach to communication by Donna Sozio and Samantha Brett. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. My, my pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Great talking to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, VoiceAmericaVariety.com, and World Talk Radio. Hope you had a nice morning. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.